0: Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. Get ready to finish up Hebrews. I'm pressing a little hard this morning. We're going to finish up Hebrews today if it kills me, y'all. We're going to do Hebrews chapter 13. This is the final chapter in Hebrews 13. You're saying, well, preacher, we, we got about 45 minutes. Well, if God can work miracles, he can raise the dead. He can get us to this final chapter tonight. But if he moves in such a way that we stop because he has to move on somebody's heart, if he has to ignite some dry dead bones and cause fire to fall from heaven, then by all means, God, you have, you have all permission to do what you want in your house with your people. Amen, somebody. So we're looking at Hebrews chapter 13 tonight, uh, this morning. We're looking at Hebrews 13, and we're going to pick up at verse number 6. We're going to get to all the way to chapter, chapter 13, verse 24 today. So if you would, grab your Bible. The reason we use the Bible, because we, we believe it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of others. Eyewitnesses, we report supernatural events that took place and fulfillment of prophecy. It's divine, not human in origin. We here at Riverside believe in Sola Scriptura, which is the Bible alone. We believe in Sola fide, which is faith alone. We believe in Sola Christos, which is Christ alone. We believe in Sola Gracia, which is grace alone. We believe in Sola Deo Gloria, which means God and God alone receives the glory. And He certainly does receive the glory this morning as we open His Word and receive the oracles of God written by the hand of the Apostle Paul through the power of the Holy Spirit received by the people of God this morning. In Hebrews chapter 13 verse number 6, the Apostle writes to us, he says so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what will man do to me. As we begin to unpack here this morning, we would do well to live by this motto the Lord is my helper. I know if we took, the moment, took a moment this morning to go around the room, we'll have some saints to say, it was the Lord who helped me. It was God whose hand was on me. It's God whose hand is on me now. He is my helper. Amen. When FEMA wouldn't help me, the government wouldn't help me, my friends couldn't help me, my family didn't help me, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. When you know that God is your helper, why do you fear? Well, I understand this morning. I'm not picking on anybody. It's our, it's our nature to fear. And naturally, we fall into fear, believing that God's going to drop the ball. We believe that He's a butterfinger God, that it will slip through His fingers. But let me assure you, God does not forget anybody. God does not misplace anyone. I know we walk into the room and say, where are my keys? I was talking to my little brother just this week. He said, sometimes I lose my keys, but I got some keys hidden in the yard. I go out and get them. I hide them under a rock in the yard. I said, why don't you just hide your keys in the yard so you know where they are all the time? And he laughed, but he's my brother. God doesn't do that with us. He don't misplace us. He don't put you through this valley. He said, oh, well, let me deal with what's going on over here. Let me deal with the economy and forget where you are. The Lord is my helper is what the author says here. Why will I even fear? What can man do to me? Man, oh, oh man can do something now. Let me tell you. Man can gossip about you. Man can... They can drag your name through the mud. They can crucify you in public opinion. They can stab you in the back. But we also know, but that's just a side. No, that's, that's temporary. That's, that's nothing compared to what God can do. Amen. We see here. He says, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What will man do to me? He switches gears here in verse number 7. He says, remember your leaders, those who speak to you, the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. He's preaching to me now. He's telling you to watch those who are leaders in the church. To watch your deacons. You want to look at their lives and imitate them. And I know the deacons are holding their head, but I'm the preacher, I'm up front, and it's saying the same about me. I put something on social media about a week or so ago. I said, if your preacher lived like you do, and did what you did, and said what you said, would you go to his church? Mm. Here, the responsibility lays on the leaders and the elders. The deacons and the pastors, the Sunday school teachers, the children's coordinator and pastors. It falls on us to be an example for the congregation. You want to look into my life that I'm, I'm supposed to show you my life. You can look in the eyes of my children. Look at my wife, how I treat her, how I speak to her, and emulate that in your life. The reason I say it in such a way is that you look at your deacons and how they treat their family, how they run their household. Look at the preacher, how he treats his family. That we're called to be holy run after righteousness. To pull over the Scriptures, to hit our knees in prayers, and you are to emulate that. You ain't just supposed to be hearing philosophies and ideas, but to see it walked out in your presence among the people of God. I say that because I could drop dead at any moment. One day you'll have another preacher here. Look at his life. Look at how he lives. Look at how he carries himself, how he treats his family. Does he have four or five girlfriends or a couple of boyfriends? Does he, does he live holy before God? Does he serve God? Or is he busy fleecing the flock, pimping from the pulpit? Does he live in such a way that you want to emulate him and serve God the way he does? Even the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, little children imitate me, Do what I do. Serve God the way I am. Throw yourself into the arms of Jesus. Live your days in the light of eternity. It should be so with the people of the people of God in our church. You should see people walking out holiness and righteousness as an example. Maybe you grew up in a family where the men didn't lead the household. Maybe you grew up in a family where the women did not honor God. Maybe you didn't hear holy conversations. Maybe you didn't see people living in righteousness. But in this congregation, there are those who love God. Imitate them. Honor God by serving them and serving God and serving each other. He says, consider the outcome of your way of life and imitate their faith. We're to consider. Look at people's lives. Now, I know there's some here that you got baggage and you're carrying a lot of weight. And I ain't talking about your belly, I'm talking about emotional weight and baggage that you carry. But we're to consider by looking at people's lives are you going backwards? Are you running away from holiness? Are you striving? Are you leaning into grace and mercy? Are you falling prey to sin? Like they say, dead fish go downstream, but those that are alive go against the current. Are you knuckling up every day? Are you reading the Word of God? Discipline your heart and your mind to serve Jesus and Him alone and not other gods and not even yourself but Him and Him alone. We're to consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. If you catch your preacher slipping, call him on it. Preacher, you ain't preaching as hard as you used to. I notice, preacher, that you aren't spending time with your family like you should. What good is it if I stand in this pulpit and the church grows and people come and my marriage falls apart? What good is that? What good is it if my kids don't even know me? What good is that? Imitate. You might say, well, I don't want anybody imitating me. Well, you need to work on that. Work on that. Where you, would wanna, you would be somebody that somebody wants to be like. That you serve Jesus. I'm not putting myself up on a pedestal. It just so happens I'm in front of the church on the stage because God put me here. I tell you what though, if I could do anything else, I would do that. But I can't. There's a fire in my bones that He put me here to edify and herald His kingdom and tell His goodness and His mercy and His grace to a people like me. Amen, somebody. And for some reason, Jesus Christ is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. It's good that 6 and 7 and and 8 go together because there's going to be days where I don't feel like a Christian. There's going to be days where I don't feel holy. I ain't going to be patient. And if you catch me at the wrong time, I probably will be short with you. I might be hungry. It might have been a bad day. There's a lot of reasons. The same reasons for you. Because I change. You change. The seasons change. People change. But then we see verse 8. Oh, that's so good. That's the bedrock on which we stand. We build our life on this fact. Jesus is the same. Jesus is the same. Jesus, He loves you today as much as when you first came to Him. He won't love you less. He won't even love you more. You mean His love ain't growing? No, He already loves you. Even while you were yet a sinner. Amen. Somebody. He's the same yesterday. Today. And forever. I like it that he loved me yesterday. And I need his love today. And forever. He'll always love me, y'all. Even if y'all don't, he will. Even if you give up on me, he won't. Even if you were to walk out on me, He's not. Even if you were to drop me and break me, He won't. He's the same. Yesterday, I needed all that grace. I need all the grace that I'm going to soak it all up. And today and forever, always, all the time. How long is forever? Forever, ever. Always. Forever. Forever. All the time. Always. Never unceasing. Never stopping. Always. I need that same Jesus. Maybe you don't. Maybe you got your stuff together. But somebody like me needs an always for every kind of Jesus that don't change. Even when I do. Even when my heart grows cold. Even when I get depleted and I get busy or distracted. He don't change. Thank you, Jesus, for not changing when people do. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't change when my bank account does. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't change when my attitude or my health changes. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't change when gas prices change. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't change when elections come and cultures change. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't change. You're always the same. Amen. If we can be thankful for anything, let's be thankful for that this week, that he don't change. As you said across those at the dinner table on Thanksgiving Day, there might be a change in the family. There might be somebody new that changes the dynamics. There might be somebody that's not there who's going on to be with the Lord. But things, they, things will change, but He do not. He does not change. That's comfort. That's goodness. That's grace. <laughs> Verse 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened, By grace. Uh, Let's just pause there. Strange and diverse teachings. Things that are strange and diverse. How do we know it's strange and diverse if it's not found in your Bible? Many times, old heretics come in new packages and new forms. The teaching that Jesus was just a good man. No, we teach that he's the God man. Strange and diverse teachings. will lose my salvation like I can lose my wallet. When Christ saved me, He loved me from the beginning of time before the foundation of the world. Because we read in Ephesians 1 and 2 that I was saved before even Christ went to the cross. He went to the cross with my name and intentions to save me and redeem me. That means it's not up to me to keep myself safe. He has saved me. I don't have to earn my salvation because He says we learn about grace. Whenever I know this, it doesn't make me want to sin so I can use grace. It makes me to walk closer to Jesus that He loves me in spite of me. It doesn't give me a license to sin. Strange and weird doctrines and teachings. I heard one man, i got to keep myself saved. That ain't my job. Jesus saved me. He doesn't say, uh, ask me into your heart and then it's good luck. Maybe you'll get to heaven. No! He has sealed it and delivered it. He has redeemed me. I'm as good as I'm already in heaven. So many people walk around with their head hanging low. You are saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. It's a forever redemption. You belong to Him. Well, preacher, does that mean I can see it? No, you didn't. You won't even hear when we went through Romans. Romans 7. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. What hope is there for me? Paul the apostle said he's a wretch. He's a sinner. He says, there's no hope for me. What hope is there for me? Is this his volunteer hours? Is it his church attendance? No, he answers his own question and says it's Jesus Christ. My hope is in nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. On Christ alone, uh, on the solid rock I stand, all around me is sinking sand. (laughs) Oh, I'm preaching better than y'all acting. He says we're to be strengthened by grace. Congregation, we are saved simply by grace. I don't know about you, but that strengthens me. I'm not graded on my performance. Because if I was, let me assure you, I would be going to hell. But I'm saved by grace. Is that not good to y'all? I figured y'all would be a little bit more excited about that myself. Because that's good to me. I'm saved simply by grace and grace alone. Only by grace. If he told us to all line up out here and run to the end of the road and come back, the first one to touch the steps gets to go to heaven. Some of y'all are like, yeah buddy, you'll be pushing over children, knocking over old people, and running as fast as you can to get to the end of the road and come back so you can get your salvation. I might even get in my car and run over a couple of y'all so I can get back. Because that's the only way I go out running. run some of y'all. I've seen y'all. I've seen you run. But it don't work that way. I'm not saved by my performance, I'm saved by what Christ has done and what He has done Himself, by Himself, for His glory. We are saved simply, simply by grace. So there is no boasting here. There's no one bragging here. We're saved by grace. If that ain't something to be thankful for, I don't know what you can conjure up to be thankful for. That alone will give you 10,000 years worth of gratefulness. To say, thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your mercy. He tells us not not to be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Maybe what I said to you was strange. Maybe that's because you ain't been reading your Bible. Read Ephesians, read Romans, that He saves to the uttermost. Read Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. He saves to the uttermost. Absolutely, completely, He saves. Oh, that's grand. That's glorious. It's almost too good to be true. It's so good, it has to be true. Because all I see is bad news. But that is good. That's exceedingly good news that Jesus saves sinners. Oh, that's grand and glorious. That's grace and that's mercy. We're not to be led away by diverse teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods, which have not benefited those who are devoted to them. He's writing to the Hebrews because they had a sacrificial they had a sacrificial ceremony where they would eat their, their uh, kosher meals and believe they will be sanctified and holy by their works, works of the law. He begins to unpack those in verse ten. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. The body of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place of the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. He's talking about the Levitical priesthood where the priest would kill the lamb, sprinkle the blood in the holy place, roast that animal on the altar. They are to pull off the shank and to eat it Because that would be the payment for the priests, how they would eat. But he says, we feast on something much greater than the old ceremonies. We have strength, not just for our bodies, but also for our hearts, our minds, and our souls. They were burned outside the campus where they took the animals after their sacrifice. They burned them outside of camp. In verse 12, he says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. He's using the analogy of the old ceremonies, the Old Testament, to show that Jesus is a better covenant. That the old is just a shadow of what Christ is illuminating here. In verse number 14, no, verse 13, Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. When they crucified Jesus, they crucified Him beside a highway going into Jerusalem. And as people walked by the public execution of Christ, they saw it, wagged their heads, rolled their eyes as He bore reproach and shame for sinners like us. Paul says, when we come to Jesus, we don't come to get glory. You've heard, come to Jesus for your best life now. You've heard many famous preachers preaching in such a way. Come to Jesus to get everything and all the benefits that this world has to offer you. When you come to Jesus, you get no benefits that the world has. You get shame and reproach. You get blackballed. You get blacklisted. You get considered weird and religious, devoted to uh, fanaticism come to Jesus and bear reproach and bear shame. Bear bear being called a holy roller. Bear being called a Bible thumper. Bear the shame of having His name. If they drug Him through the streets, drug His name through the mud, they'll do the same to you. But then again, we consider the worth and the cost. It's worth it. It's worth it to lay my head on my pillow at night to lay in grace. It's worth having peace beyond understanding. It's worth it in the middle of the storm knowing that He walks on the waves and lifts me up out of the mire pit. He keeps me. He holds me. He defends me. He redeems me. My God is worth it. Amen. In verse 14, for, we, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. This ain't home, y'all. I know we're Americans. We're Americans. We love our nation. We love our country. We might not like our government, but we love our nation. But we're simply passing through. Our, our nationality belongs in heaven. We pledge allegiance to the flag. We render into Caesar what's Caesar's. We belong to Christ. We serve the one true King of kings and Lord of lords. The whole earth is His footstool. The galaxies are held together by His words. We're simply passing through. We're going to a lasting city. One that is to come. And I know some of y'all are waiting to get to heaven before you live your best life. But now, heaven is already inside you when Christ has saved you. Some of y'all walking around and you're miserable. I get it. The weather's horrible. Some of y'all like it. I don't. I get it. People, traffic is horrible. Taxes, yeah, I get all that stuff. I understand. But then again, I'm already in heaven because Jesus is in me. I can already walk around with hope found inside of me, not based on what the, the, the stock market is doing. You can be happy or full of joy. There's a difference. Happy is because you didn't get you didn't get in trouble when you ran that red light. You can be happy about that. You can be happy because you got a deal on your Big Mac. You can be happy. You can be happy. You found an extra twenty dollars in an old coat you put on. Well, look at her twenty dollars. I'm happy about that. Happy comes from happenstance. It just so happens to happen, so you're happy. But joy, joy is when. You're exceedingly joyful even when you have cancer because there's a hope, and His name is Jesus. There's joy. Whenever there's joy, even on the bed of affliction, because you know that God is not forsaking you, there's joy in the depths of depression. Even though you're depressed, you still have joy, for there's a God in heaven who sees you in the pit. There's still joy. Joy don't change. Joy is not fleeting. Joy does not not crumble in your hands, does not fall apart. Joy has nothing to do with your financial standings. Joy has nothing to do with your bill of rights. It has nothing to do with your health, wealth, and prosperity. Joy is because Jesus has saved you and you live by grace. There are many people in America today who get these two confused. They come to church and they pretend to be happy. Pretend to just be happy. And they don't even have an ounce of joy. But you go over to the Chinese Communist Party over in China where the church is being persecuted. People are being killed for even owning a page found in the Bible. And those church members of the underground church are full of joy. As they meet, in abandoned warehouses. They meet in places of obscurity, out in fields. And they ask one another, hey, you had a page for Romans. What did it say? Did you memorize it? And they'll recite it back to the groups that scattered there. They'll recite back what Romans said because they had to destroy the page to get rid of it because if they're caught with it, they die. And they're full of joy. They're full of joy knowing there's hope and grace and mercy. But we here in America come to church on Sundays and we're not happy about it. Couldn't we do this online? can, could, can we get a better hour? Can't there be some coffee or something? Can, I, I'm not happy about being here. We do good to find our first love. We do good to remember. By what hence He has saved us from. His wrath. He has redeemed us. And poured out His grace upon us. That will cause you to walk in joy. Going to the world is not just a Christmas song. It's a philosophy. And a theology of life. When your theology lines up with the Word of God. You'll walk in a manner that's pleasing to Him. Because you understand Him. And what He has done for you. Everybody's a theologian. Everybody believes in theology. You believe something about God. Either you believe He's a a big God in heaven who's got a lightning bolt in His hand and He's going to throw it at you if you mess up. Or you believe that He's a God of grace and a God of mercy who forgives sinners, who sent Jesus as a Redeemer to save those that are wayward, those that are lost, those who could never get to Jesus on their own. He goes and gets them. He'll leave the 99 to find the one. Grace, grace, amazing grace. We're going to go to Him outside the camp. Bear the reproach that's endured. We have an everlasting kingdom. In verse 15, through Him, then let us continue to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips and acknowledge His name. Church, we've already done that this morning. We continually offer it up. That means that we have to do it on Mondays, Tuesdays. We even had to do it during Thanksgiving dinner. I know. Family members sitting there, you're like, I can't even believe I'm here with them to hear them talk. I need a Xanax. I know. But we give them a sacrifice of praise. That means the sacrifice costs us something. We don't feel like praising Him. That's when we should praise Him all the more. We don't feel like reading our Bible. That's when we should dig deep and read all the more. Because we don't walk by how we feel. We walk by faith. If Jesus came and died because he felt like it. well, in the middle of that thing, I'm sure he won't feel really good. No cat or nine tails ripped the flesh off his back. I'm sure that didn't feel good. I'm sure when they were screaming, crucify him and lying on him at that kangaroo court, he didn't feel like going through with it. But then again, he did pray, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Let us do well to emulate him. To honor Him and serve Him. that We give Him the fruit of our lips. If the fruit of our lips is goodness and praise, that means the root of where our heart is has the soil, the fertile soil of the Scriptures and God's Word. And our lips will produce what our root is found in. If your lips are constantly producing bitter fruits... Bitterness and anger and complaints. It's because your heart is not rooted in the right places. If your heart is rooted in this world, I know you're going to have some bitter fruit. I know your days will be filled with complaints. Church, what if, what if just for an instance, tomorrow we woke up with only the things that we thank God for Today. What if we woke up tomorrow for all the blessings, and that's all we had—is the blessings that we thank God for today? Let that be your motto every day. Thank Him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the trials, the persecutions. Thank you. Thank you for the blessings and the mercies. If we woke up tomorrow for only with only the things that we thank God for today, some of us would wake up, wake up with no health. Some of us would wake up without our minds. Some of us would wake up without our families or even our homes. Some of us would wake up with no worldly possessions. The cabinets would be empty. No children. No grandchildren. No friends. Because we didn't thank Him today. That the fruit of our lips acknowledge His name. Have you acknowledged His name all week? I ain't just talking about today. Some of y'all barely acknowledge Him today. When you sang, you barely sang about standing on the promises. You don't even know His promises. You haven't gone into the wall and dug deep as you're digging for treasure. If I told you the day there were diamonds under your house, all you had to do was go get them. Won't be long, you'd be pushing your house over to get those diamonds. Been through every obstacle to get to those riches. In your hands, a riches unspeakable. Yet, your Bible sits on your shelves. Many of you use your Bible to keep your TV steady. Some of you throw your Bibles in the back seat of your car and the pages roll up and turn yellow. I've seen it. But then again, I did the same. One minute I was happy, the next minute I won't. I needed something to go beyond happenstance. I needed a joy. I needed a joy to help me and guard me and keep me through life's journeys. And I had to dig deep and I'm only getting started. And I encourage you to do the same. Study His Word. Study what His promises are. Know that He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Don't take my word for it. It's in the book. That we give Him the fruit of our lips and acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share What you have for such is the sacrifice pleasing to God. Church, we're constantly here at Riverside looking to do good. To do good works in His name. Whether we're blessing the Hope Center, blessing people within our congregation, looking for opportunities to do good. Now I know there are those who are looking for opportunities to do evil. As soon as somebody turns their head, they'll do something slighted, underhanded, and wicked. But we as Christians... Seek opportunities to do good. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You want to please God? Put coats on somebody who ain't got a coat. Pray for your enemies. Do that. Let the fruit of your lips be bountiful and glorifying the name of Christ and what He's done for you. Less bragging on you and more on Him. Acknowledge Him and humble yourself. You want to please God? Do that verse 17 obey your leaders so you got to do what I just said obey your leaders it's right there it's in the book and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning for what would be of no advantage to you I'm going to tell you the truth there are some in our congregation that are a joy to serve no doubt there's some, I, I love to lift her name up in prayer. I love to mention, I love to think about, not just because they're pleasant, not everybody's pleasant, let me tell you. Even difficult people. It's still a joy to serve you. But there's some that causes your preacher to groan. There's some that causes me to bone. And it has nothing to do with personality. It has nothing to do with your facial features. has nothing to do with your church attendance. It has everything to do with how you live. I, 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 I get it. Sometimes I, I'm t- walking, talking to my wife because she's my sounding board. God put her there so I don't go crazy and I can develop my thoughts and talk to her. And she just goes, yeah, baby, that's okay. Yeah, keep hollering at me. Alright, I get you. And I'm not hollering at her. I'm hollering. Because I stand in the pulpit and preach the gospel week after week. And people hear it, I think they hear it. I think they understand. I think they're smelling what I'm cooking, but they don't live like it. They don't repent. They live as if they're dead in their sins, continually they live after the lusts of the heart. When I called them to repentance week after week, and it drives me insane. But then again I remember that Jesus was the greatest pastor that the world has ever seen. And yet he had a member of his congregation that was a devil still. So it's got less to do with me. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to call people to repentance. Call you to run from the city of destruction. Call you to throw down your sins week after week. And when you don't, hell gets hotter and hotter for you. Because he has extended his mercy to you over and over. And you ignored it. You've ignored it. You kept on sinning. You run to destruction and death. you rather die and spend eternity in hell than submit to His grace and His mercy. you rather. And it has nothing to do with me. As long as I don't get caught up with me and get caught up on myself and say, where am I dropping the ball? If I keep my eyes on Jesus and keep doing what He called me to do, I don't have to groan and moan. I'll let the fruit of my lips be rooted. And the scriptures and trust him to do the work. It ain't my job to convert anybody. Right. I can't. It's like going to the grave or telling dead people to live. I can't do that. But through the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe he'll speak to through me and cause somebody to repent of their sins and trust in Christ. Jesus said, What great rejoicing there'll be in heaven when one sinner turns from sin, repents, and trusts in him. Let it be today, Lord. Whoever you are, you've heard the gospel, you've heard the preaching, and yet you relent. You slow down, you stop, and you don't repent. Today, let it be the day that you get right with God and cry out to Him. Verse 18. Pray for us. If Paul was asking his people to pray for him, how much more does your pastor need to plead with you to pray for him? Paul the Apostle was asking people to pray for him. Do I have to send you postcards to remind you? Do I need to knock on your door? Hey, pray for me. now preacher, not preaching. That's your job. You're supposed to pray for me. No, pray for me. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience designed to act honorably in all things. Paul is saying that we would act honorably in all ways, in all things. When everybody's inspecting, and when everybody's got their eyes turned, honorably in all things. That you do the same. That you pray for your preacher, that he'll be a man of integrity. That he'll be honorable in all things. And you yourselves be honorable in all things. I ain't called to be an outsourced holy man for you. We hire people to cut our grass. We hire plumbers to clog our, our cogs and, and try to get our pots clean. We hire people to work on the gutters. And we hire electricians. We hire all kinds of outsourcing. We hire the phone men to fix the phone and work on the cable. We outsource. But you can't outsource worship and holiness and righteousness. You don't pay me to be righteous for you. You don't pay me to pray for you. that I would act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you soon. The author here is Paul as he's writing to the Hebrews. He says, I want to be in Jerusalem where you are. But you know what? Not many people know this. This was probably written when he was in prison. Paul penned this epistle to the church in Jerusalem while he was in jail. Do you think if you were riding from jail, you will let everybody know about your grievances? Always oh, cold here. The food is horrible. You will talk about how you've been slotted and how you've been done wrong. But no. Paul asks people to pray for him. He even gives us doctrine and theology and tells us to imitate him and imitate our pastors and deacons. To serve fervently, and to remind us that this is not our home. As he sat in chains and fetters and leg irons, he says, "This is temporary. This ain't forever. I'm not home yet." Amen. He asks for prayer, and he wants to be restored soon. And now he gives his benediction in verse twenty. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of sheep, by the blood of eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He calls Him the God of peace. Many of y'all are not at peace with God because you're still at war with Him because you'd rather be an ally with sin than be at peace with God. Well, when you put it like that, preacher, that's not really how I feel. That's what you're doing. You'd rather have your sin than mercy and grace. You're saying that this sin is better than Jesus is really what you're doing. This pornography is better than Jesus. This gossip is better than Jesus. This bitterness and unforgiveness is better than Jesus. This lust is better than Jesus. He says that He brought Jesus back, our Lord, from the dead. He's the great shepherd of the sheep by His blood of the eternal covenant. That He would equip you with everything good, everything you need is in your hands, it's in your Bible. To Him be the glory forever and ever. And He says, Amen. Not many people know this, but Amen means so be it. Let this be true. This, this is true is what it says. 22 says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear my word for exhortation. For I have written to you briefly, and these 13 chapters were brief. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, and with whom I shall see you if he soon comes. There's another epistle. I believe it's Ephesians. He talks about Timothy. No, he tells him in 1 Timothy to come quickly to see him and bring his cloak because the winters were very cold and without a a, a cloak to wrap himself up, he frees to death in his jail because even though they were government jails, they didn't offer them a cot and three square meals a day. If your family didn't come, you starved. He's hoping that Timothy comes to see him in his jail cell to encourage him. Even though he's low, he's in a dark place behind bars for preaching the gospel. Here he is writing epistles to the churches, telling them to carry on, keep serving God, honor God with your lips. Let the root of your heart be planted in the Word of God. I shall see you soon if he comes. Verse 24 greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send greetings. Grace be with you all. Notice how Paul doesn't finish saying, Come get me. Tear down the government and make plant the flag of the cross on top of the Capitol." He didn't say, Have an insurrection. He doesn't say, Conquer and tear down this government. He gives grace to you all. Grace be with you all. Mercy with you all. See, Paul leads on the exclamation point. He tells us that we're saved simply by grace. We do well to remember that we're saved by grace. We're not saved by our works and our accomplishments. We're not saved on our church attendance. We're not saved by our tithing records. We're not saved by our baptisms. Many of the young men that last night that were being baptized, I made sure they understood when they went under that water and came up, that baptism does not save them. It was the work of Christ that saves them. What they're doing is an outward profession. That outward profession that I belong to Jesus and He is mine and I am His. Some of us in our Bible-believing community have an outward confession of sin. We say we belong to Jesus. Well, outwardly we confess that we really belong to the world. Uh-huh. Only in name only do we say we belong to Jesus. Our name may be on the roll at Riverside, but it is not in the Lamb's Book of Life. Uh-huh. Mm, here. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm trying to save Trying to use the words of God to call you to repentance. Some of us have secret sins. Nobody knows. The preacher doesn't know. Your spouse or your best friends don't know. But God knows. And He calls you to repentance. Well, you just talked about grace. And you said that God will forgive. That's right. He will forgive. And this is a grace towards you now. That you repent here and now. Right where you are. Before a holy God. Because He forgives sinners. If you walked in here with a monkey on your back, a literal monkey, this bear would be a moment. And that monkey was wailing away on your back and your head, tearing you apart, pulling your hair out, sticking his fingers in your ears, gouging at your eyes, pulling at your face. And you had the opportunity to leave it here for Brother Tracy to handle. You had the opportunity to pull it off your back and leave it here for our deacon Will to take care of. Or Brother Tommy to put a bullet in. You would do it as quick as you could to pull that monkey off and leave it here. Amen. Thank you. Some of it ain't monkeys. Some of us gorillas. Some of them are carrying King Kongs, tearing away at you and ruining you and pounding you. Why don't you leave it here? Amen. Why don't you leave it here? Amen. Thank you, Lord. I know it's been years since some of y'all have even came to the altar. Some of y'all haven't been here unless I made you come in the last five years. Let's all come to y'all we and welcome to y'all. That's the only time you've come to the altar. You have an opportunity to leave your King cons here. Your burdens and things that tear at you. Things that you actually feed and make stronger but bitterness and anger. You keep feeding and it gets bigger and bigger and it's putting a chokehold on you. Strangling you and killing you. And yet you'll walk out the door with it today. You'll keep your pet sins. But well, I'm asking you to come to the altar and get right with God. They grab you, they pull at you, they tear at you, they cling to you. Some of them has got their fingers in your ears right and you can't even hear me. Some of them are closing your eyes and you can't see. Some have a cloud of your mind so greatly. If you can't make up from down, why don't you cry out to Jesus today? He heals. He redeems. He saves. He defends. He sets the captive free. He washes the dirty. He sets in right those who are wrong. He bears your sins. You don't have to walk out of here anymore with that baggage, those grudges. You don't go walk out of here free. Some of you are not willing to give up your sins. You go home with them every day. You set a cross for them from the dinner table. You entertain them the very things that put Jesus on the cross. Preacher, what are you doing? This is supposed to be like a feel-good Sunday. Oh, it'll be feeling real good once that monkey's off your back and you're redeemed of your sins. You're set free. You come out of the valley of death. and You walk into the nation of light as you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of heaven, forgiven, redeemed, and set free by the blood of Jesus and walking in grace. There's nothing better than that. It's not just simply about being happy. But sins will tell you, hey, don't you want to be happy? Don't God want you to be happy? you got to do this to be happy. You'll truly be happy when you're holy. And you're walking in joy and peace and mercy. Let us bow our heads. Father, there are those this morning who should be at the altar. There's those who probably will go to the altar. And Lord, I, I encourage you to